Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Join me today for the conclusion of 3MA's third century of shows is 3MA founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, everyone. It's great to still be here and not completely usurped. <laughs> well, I like to keep you around like Banquo's ghost, if I'm being honest. I think, <laughs> I think it lends a certain class to the podcast. Great. Uh, we also welcome back our elite, irregular panelist, Bruce Garrick. Yeah, hello, gamers. And finally, who better to join us on episode 300 than the man who was here at the start, uh, back for the first time since our Rise of Nation show, quarter to threes, Tom Check. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. And, and as usual, if I can get anyone a coffee, let me know at any moment, and I'll uh, just run into the kitchen and, and make you one. What about a cream soda? That's only after 400 episodes. Do no we get cream soda? Sodas. Yeah. We're, we're still on the coffee yeah. level and at three moves ahead. Well, refusing mm. cream soda requests, I'm pretty sure, is a good way to lose hearts and minds. So I don't know what you're oh, doing, Tom. My campaign oh, God, for pacification just failed, didn't it? God. Uh, and that's a little hint. Yeah, that's a little segue, uh, as, as the pros call it. Uh, today we're going to be mm-hmm. talking about Vietnam 65, a war game by developer Every Single Soldier for tablet and PC. Uh, Bruce and Tom have already done some fantastic coverage over of it over on uh, Quarter to Three. So, actually, I'm going to throw it right over to you guys here at the start. Um, what's Vietnam 65, and uh, how does it work? Uh, it's the 2015 game of the year, and uh, hmm. it works like uh, Viet- the Vietnam War. In that, well, it, it works like it works like the Vietnam War as opposed to typical Vietnam War games, I would say. I, th- I think what makes it special, Rob, um, what they're trying to do in Vietnam 65, uh, and they being a very small studio... Uh, helmed by a, a fellow in South Africa named Johan Nagel. Uh, he calls the studio Every Single Soldier. Uh, what they are trying to do is create an operational-level model of the campaign of pacification in, in Vietnam. Uh, and what's unique here is that most Vietnam War games kind of struggle with how to do this. They, they, they have that model of World War II war games, where a war game is this unit with this strength fighting this unit with this strength. Go. Um, and Vietnam 65 completely throws that out the window and, and has a, a completely different model for how to do you know, the Vietnam War, how to model that campaign of, of pacification. So one of the things that's so difficult about this type of warfare, uh, let's call it counterinsurgency, though. This is kind of a mixed model uh, of conflict I think we've got going here. Uh, but one of the things that's so difficult to, to deal with in counterinsurgency is uh, – handling the the non-combat parts of it right like how do you systematize uh winning over the allegiance of a divided population how do you systematize uh breaking up resistance networks and that and that kind of thing and i think a lot of uh a lot of games have struggled with that or or more accurately probably ignored it entirely in favor of those sort of small squad tactics type approaches to the conflict um and I'm curious what you guys think of the way Vietnam 65 uh, models the hearts and minds aspect of uh, the the early days of the Vietnam War. And Bruce is pretty critical of it. I'm going to let Bruce weigh in here. Bruce, what's your problem with what uh, Vietnam 65 is doing? Well, I mean, I think the way that the Vietnam 65 uh, model works is that it has this idea that all you need to do is sort of run around to these villages and talk to the people and say, hey, you know, we're the good guys and, uh, you know, you don't want to talk to those bad guys. And it's sort of – it's almost like the uh, firing line uh, model of counterinsurgency, right? You have a debate 
And as long as you're really, really uh, articulate, like William F. Buckley, then you'll eventually con- you know, convince everybody to be on your side. Um, Not even that, bro. Just, just listen. Just, you know, show up from time to time and listen. If, if, yeah. if America had just listened in Vietnam, we would have right. had a hearts and minds score probably of about 80 instead yeah. of the 30 that we ended up with. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that the, uh, the issue for me is that it sort of systematized. This is not necessarily a bad thing, but from a, from a gaming standpoint, but it systematizes, as Tom said, uh, a sort of model of the counterinsurgency as seen by the United States, where, um, you know, we would go into the villages, uh, do this sort of, you know, hearts and minds stuff. And as long as we did that more than the VC did, and we killed the VC, then, you know, we sort of, we win. Um, and I don't think that that, you know, <clears throat> there, there's been a lot of really good scholarship about the, uh, the Vietnam War since the war. And even, it's even coming out now in the, the 2000s. Um, there's a lot of good, actually, what I would call revisionist Vietnam War uh, history that's coming out. But it all sort of acknowledges that, um, you know, there, there are a lot of more macro factors going on, especially the, uh, you know, land reform. There were, I think there were actually three major land reforms by the South Vietnamese government uh, during the uh, period of the Vietnam War. And those are the kinds of things um, that uh, that the struggle is kind of um, centered around. And now we can, you know, we could talk a whole lot about how the, you know, the sort of the communist model wasn't that great either. I mean, they ended up expropriating a lot of land and killing a lot of people. When the Tet Offensive happened, they thought that the people would all sort of rise up with them, and they actually didn't. The uh, the people sort of rejected uh, the VC during Tet, and it was actually, a, you know, as, as we all kind of now learn, a big uh, American military victory, but um, but but this game doesn't do that. This game says, "Look, uh, here is how the United States imagined that its counterinsurgency in Vietnam would go, and if you do that successfully, you win the game." And I mean, I think that that's actually a really um, it's it's different. Uh, it's it's consistent and coherent, and it's not just this sort of facile, um, you know, run around. You know, shoot the VC. You know, uh, you know, bring in airstrikes and kill everything, and you know, you win. So I, I, I really like the way that the that the designer uh, Johann Nagel um, sort of conceptualized the whole thing, and then made it a very coherent and um, uh, logical sort of internally consistent model. Oh, well, I wouldn't say more importantly than being, uh, you know, realistic. I mean, what Bruce is kind of getting at, which I don't necessarily disagree with, is it's not realistic. And that's fine because I don't think it's trying to be realistic. It's trying to abstract it into a gameplay model. Um, And that I think Bruce and I both agree uh, is where it's hugely successful Um, because what it does, if you haven't played it, you you start out with a randomized map. And on this map, there are ten villages. And every village has a hearts and minds rating of 50. And as the VC uh, do their different missions, they'll spawn on the map and do missions, that village's hearts and minds rating drops below 50, goes towards zero. But then as the U.S. does successful missions, as they kill the VC, more importantly, as they show up and talk to the villagers, um, the hearts and minds rating goes up. So at any point in the game, you have an overall hearts and minds rating, which is the average of all 10 villages. So this is basically a game about protecting um, these 10 villages as best you can with limited resources. Um, And that represents pacifying a rural uh, population. Um, So realistic or not, I I think it's good gameplay. 
I think the abstraction is 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 quite good. It took me a while to really get the hang of what's going on because he sets himself up a bit of a challenge, Nagel does here, with having this political understanding of the war, you know, hearts and minds and political support back at home. And every time you call an airstrike or something, that costs you political points, so you can't run through them or waste your units, even though your units are so much more powerful than the VC stuff, you can't just mass them up because you're under political points. So there's this political understanding of the war, yet almost all of the mechanics are basic war game mechanics. You attack stuff, you bomb stuff, so it has this political message, political abstraction, from the military stuff going up. So you, so he takes out things like, you know, the South Vietnamese government. Takes out things like, this is, as Bruce said, it's a very, it's, it's Vietnam 65, and it's a very 1965 understanding of how pacification worked. So it's not just, you know, the year, it's in many ways the strategy uh, of the time. So it works, you know, as an abstraction quite well, despite the, you know, a historicity of it. It's, it's, it's quasi-historical, which I called it on Twitter, because, you know, it's, a, it's not a map of Vietnam. It is not a simulation of Vietnam. Um, it is, it, it gets some things really, really right uh, that I'll talk about later. I think it, just, it took me a while to say, oh, like, holy crap, I really love this tiny little mechanic. Uh, but yeah, I think the, the challenge in bringing the military into a political consequence um, is no not it's a bridge too far, but it's an abstract jump that I think um, a lot of designers would not have had the guts to do that if wanted to add a political sub-game in there somehow and not just say, nope, it's about the soldiers and they're fighting. And somehow that trickles up to uh, a political understanding or a political solution to the war. So something I, I actually really like about the, the way this game works is that as the U.S. player, you, you, there's this there's this tension you're dealing with because really the ultimate outcome of the game is determined by your ability to keep making those rounds, to keep you know going to those visit those villages when they've got their little signal fire burning, you know go go in there, have a chat, reassure them, move on to the next village, and that's really like what what the game is going to be about, and fighting is is almost tangential to that objective, but. The only way you get resources is by going out and producing a body count, basically. The way you sort of reassure Congress that everything is going well and they authorize, uh, you know, they, they throw good money after good is if you can show that you're out there killing communists and a lot of communists. But because you're fighting... Well, pardon? I was going to say, it's almost the JRPG of wargaming, isn't it? The JRPG. Because you run around... Okay. Yes. Because you run around and do all these pointless tasks, right? I mean, the whole thing is about <laughs> yeah. traveling to places and doing something sort of, you know, unquantifiable or just sort of nebulous. Um, and it doesn't really have any logic in and of itself, but it fits into the whole system. And it might be even actually really trivial. I mean, you're flying around putting out campfires. And but but doing that and doing it in a systematic way while you're sort of keeping the other person from putting out the campfires or from feeding the campfires or whatever you want to call it, um, it, it the, all, this, all the sort of fighting stuff almost becomes this, you know, it's a secondary thing. I mean, you really do get the idea that, well, okay, I got to blow those guys up, but I really want to go to that village and talk to their elders and say, hey, guys, what do you need? You need some, uh, you know, some, uh, it's, like the, uh, it's like the guy in um, uh, Apocalypse Now, 
where he's like, you know, yeah, I got you some Panama red. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would even say that, uh, you know, Troy said before that he thought it used basic war game mechanics, and I would disagree with that. Um, and even right, so, with what, basic war game uh, ideas is kind of what I meant. I mean, you did, cause but you I, I would to, disagree with that in that okay. I, I think that the, the, the moment-to-moment gameplay here is nothing like basic war game mechanics in that a lot of what you're doing is purely logistical. Like a lot of the gameplay mechanics here are fly this helicopter full of supplies to these guys who only have two days of supplies left or yep. uh, you know, uh, uh, level this jungle so I can build a road to this village. You know, There's terraforming mm-hmm. and logistics – and I would argue those are a bigger part of the game than the war game stuff where you kill units. There's a lot of that, I, by I, the I, way. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I, consider, so I consider supply and logistics to be pretty essential war game ideas. But not that sort of hands-on. Like, how, What war games make you physically carry the crates out to your units? Like That is a huge part. Oh, the, yeah, the, absolutely. the shuttling around of the helicopters, I would say, is 80% of like the busy work in this game. Yeah, uh, and absolutely. I love that about it, by the way, because that, yeah. that's... A, that's that's a reflection of, you know, how we fought in Vietnam. Uh, you know, the primary role of the helicopters, and this was the first war that saw this. And and uh, Vietnam '65 makes you do that very hands-on. I can see a lot of people sitting down to play this game and thinking, "Oh, this is busy work. I don't want to do this." Um, but I, I love that about it, and I think that's part of its unique charm. Yeah, and I, and I think you like you'd have to be really missing the point. I think if you if you were to call that busy work, because the thing is. The the other side of that sort of economy of, of political capital is that you're very sensitive to losses. A destroyed unit is, is a massive blow to your political oh, yeah. capital. But casualties of any kind uh, consume consume capital. Uh, ongoing operations uh, c- consume capital. But one of the things I really appreciated is that if you start like if you start tunnel visioning on the villages, right? And you start just sort of trying to do clear and hold and just hold on to a set of villages and not really go out there into the back country and, and go deal with the Viet Cong. Uh, the problem is the, the infiltrators get further and further uh, spread like into the map and the map itself becomes more and more hostile. And so what starts out is a fairly simple thing of, oh, I've just got to load this crate on this helicopter and fly it out to this patrol somewhere. What a waste of time. Suddenly you're looking at the map and trying to figure out, where can I fly this helicopter? If I, if I, send, it, if I, if I send it out to these guys, am I going to be able to get it back? Uh, and, and so you end up with this, this sense of the, the map slowly turning red on you. And you constantly have to be sort of pushing back against the the limits of the the Viet Cong and NVA infiltration, uh, and that's where I think those things like the supply the, the supply runs um, and, and like restocking forward bases and, and and the like becomes really really interesting simply because uh, that doesn't happen on autopilot and it can actually be a huge risk uh, just to just to do basic operations like that. I would say, Rob, one of the gameplay models for this, almost like this, a, a lot of gamers would be familiar with the basic gameplay from uh, the pink fungus in Alpha Centauri. There's this idea of hmm. hostile terrain, and you've got to hold it back. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to establish a foothold in a place where the, the very jungle is out to get you. And it's, I think all that stuff does tie into you know, the basic war game stuff that you do have to push out because you can't just, if a helicopter gets shot down, like one RPG unit, I've never been more terrified of anything in a war game in a long time than one RPG unit that takes a pot shot and then vanishes. And mm-hmm. you've got to find that guy. 
Well, he's gone. He's, he's off of the map. No, he's gone. He leaves. Yeah, it, he's gone. As soon he, as the VC yeah. attack you, they vanish. That, that, oh, yeah, that's I one know. of the cool but, things. But he, that's he, one of the cool I'm, things I'm, about I'm the not, game. I'm not, you can, you can, I'm not saying you, yeah, you find immediately, but you know there are PG units out there, and you know that they could be anywhere, and that hit is damaging. Right? I, I like the way they vanish. I like the way they picture. You get occasionally news. You'll say, hey, there's an RPG guy. You talk to a village, and they'll say, oh, there's an RPG unit somewhere. And now you know where that RPG unit is, but you've used up your airstrikes, and now you know where the, there's one out there, and you can't use, you can't get there. That entire lane's cut off. That's where the military progress, and so you can get more political points, which, as Rob says, only comes through, through killing people. You can be as, you can be nice and talking to the elders and giving them their Panama red if you want, mm. but you only get that money to replace felled units, to expand your influence, to get deeper into the map, because they do infiltrate. They will get behind your lines. So you can't just, there is no safe place unless you can get the points to hold the safe spaces and to keep that influence going. Um, and I, I think someone asked me on my ask page, is there a mechanic that is underused you think should be used more? And I said, wait for the next podcast. And it really is, you know, the investigation. It is the talking to people and finding out where things are. I mean, you can't have any control over it. It's not like this isn't some game of Clue or L.A. Noir where you put the light in some Vietnamese guy's face and ask him where the Viet Cong are. But this, this is a game of active intelligence where you don't learn where things are unless they stumble upon you and don't run away. Again, or you I kinda, stumble upon them. I kind of disagree, you, though. Yeah, I know. But let me finish, Tom, before you disagree. Uh, this active intelligence and in going out there and finding out where the enemy is, so you get to take a get a chance to take a shot and weaken them, uh, is I think active intelligence. So you don't you don't see enough in games, and I like that's why I like modern naval games more than old naval games. The whole search, the hunt, and here it is. It's not quite like that because you know, yeah, the guys do vanish eventually if you don't get to them. But if you can find them, you can kill them. And the finding is so difficult, and you need those kills to keep the money coming in because there will be casualties, um, and you will lose it. Losing a Chinook is a real pain in the ass. Okay, I want to hear why Tom disagrees. Uh, well, part of the the gameplay flow, and again, this is where I think this game is utterly unique. You know the the. One of the closest touchstones for the average strategy gamer will be something like Alpha Centauri. Part of the gameplay gameplay flow is determining over the course of playing where the VC are coming from. And what mm-hmm. they do is this really cool concept of the Hoshiman Trail, which is, is, is not literally a trail here. It's points on the map where the VC spawn. And from that spawn point, they either move to the closest village, uh, they go to Minor Road... Uh, or they'll do an ambush. You know, they have one of three missions they're assigned. So part of what you're doing as you're playing is you are filling in pins on a map that you eventually look at and you determine an axis of attack. And then you set up your own uh, ambushes or you create a forward operating base there that has uh, artillery range. Um, So you do ultimately have control, and it's kind of like that terraforming sense. Uh, You have control over how to stop the VC, where they're coming from, like you learn on a, on a larger strategic level sure. the, the, the flow of the units. Um, but I think also what you were saying, Tom, where those units go – like when they finish their mission, they're gone. Yeah. They don't stay on the map. I think a lot right? of people don't get – like one of the things that we talked about with Johan, Bruce, was uh, how difficult it is to teach this game. And you can't sit down and just play this game and sort of figure it out. I, I think you have to basically read through the manual – 
Uh, yeah. In that regard, it reminded Bruce and I a lot of a board game where yeah, yeah, don't, bo- don't bother sitting down to play until you've wrapped your head around it, at least as far as right. playing for real, you know, playing to actually try to win one, a scenario. Yeah. And that's one of those things that, you know, <clears throat> really, I just didn't, I mean, I didn't get it when I first played it. And, yeah. and, and those, like, those guys would go away and I'd never see them yeah, again. Yeah, you're like, like, where is he? I'm, gotta, yeah, I'm, I'm sending yeah, units yeah. over here. I don't see him. This, this right. game is broken. It's must right. be a bug or something. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, right. But he's actually gone. Like that unit has completed yeah. its mission, and it's out of here. So you you don't go looking for that unit. You go looking for where that unit came from right. because that's the thing you got to shut down. So I mean, it. I really, I'm really impressed with the way that um, he sort of decided because I mean, the game. He talked a little bit about you know the terraforming. There's the you know you Tommy. You talked about Alpha Centauri. Um, Johan talked about civilization was an influence on him, um, and you can see a little bit of that, but. But there's part of this that is just this, um, I mean, I think a really sort of radical uh, idea with, especially with the screenshots, that it's, it, there's a real, it's a real disconnect between the screenshot and the mechanics. Because everything about this type of game where you see these, these sort of uh, concrete type of, of unit representations mm-hmm. is, is that you, they're very conventional, right? I mean, the idea that, that, that a unit's going to do something and then, Go away. It's it's almost like I mean, there's there's such an abstraction. I would expect a much more abstract kind of um, of representation. But no, there's this guy, and then well, where did he go? I don't know. He's just gone. That that he did his mission. So and you, and you don't get that sense until you read the manual. And then then I was like, oh, I'm playing this game completely wrong. I like I go find try to track that guy down, and I'm I'm basically looking for nothing. But then on the other hand, and I, I love this about it. I mean, it ultimately comes down for me. A lot of what I love about this game is how unique mm-hmm. it is to the experience of of the war we fought in Vietnam. And and one way mm. that's unique is it's got those VC guerrillas, but then they're the NVA forces, which operate yeah. by a completely different paradigm, and mm-hmm. it creates this idea of an of a guerrilla insurgency backed by a conventional military. Uh, and Bruce, a game that we've talked about lately, uh, Fire in the Lake, a board game by GMT, yes. has a unique take on this as well. Uh, yeah. But I, I, the cubes versus the uh, versus insurgents. That's a that's a basic uh, idea kind of in coin. Right. And it was in distant plane as well. Exactly. And and so here you've got those little VC hit and fade tactics. But then you also have from the left side of the map these uh, mechanized units. You know, and there there are forces that don't go away after they attack you. And mm-hmm. if you attack yep. them and don't kill them, they just move one hex back towards the way they came from, and they're just going to mm-hmm. come right back at you. Furthermore, they right. even build bases. You know. Um, mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you're fighting two very different kinds of forces, and they're both a unique part of the game flow experience in, in a typical game. Yeah, definitely. What, what interests me, hearing you talk, Tom, is um, you and I play this game completely differently. Like, you have a completely different relationship to uh, the, the proper way to sort of, like, deal with the, the Viet Cong, for instance. And I'm wondering if part of that is due to the different experiences you have uh, thanks to the randomized map. Because I've definitely had games where a major part of the game is basically terraforming, where I have to send my engineer unit out uh, <laughs> because a number of the villages I need to reach are just completely in the jungle. And you need a clear tile to deploy troops from a helicopter. Uh, and, and so something that's like deep, deep in the jungle uh, is completely inaccessible. It's going to be, the, the, tr- the game is only 45 turns long and yeah. getting a unit mm-hmm. out there could be like a 10 turn excursion with multiple supply runs in the middle and they're, and they're completely committed to that. So part, a big part of the game becomes like, 
sending your engineers out and sort of rebuilding the battlefield a little bit to, to your satisfaction and, and figuring like cutting little grooves into the jungle so you can uh, you know have have like forward operating bases where you need them and and that kind of thing. Um, what the way it's tended to play out for me is I don't have like I'm not setting up I, I very rarely end up setting up ambush points uh, for instance mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. game is actually all about uh, getting American artillery and uh, gunships basically like covering the map uh, and then having like Green Beret recon teams out there in the jungle um, just doing the uh, you know the long range recon patrol thing being my eyes and ears and just like Anything that comes in comes within line of sight is getting socked by artillery. It's getting nailed by a gunship, and if all else fails, uh, there's the airstrikes as well. And so for me, like you know, my my Vietnam '65 experience is all about everything is just bait uh, to get the NVA and the Viet Cong out there where my high, where my high explosives can get them. That's the entire mm-hmm. point of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... But there have been scenarios where it's much less about terraforming, and it's just much more about, like, you know, direct conflict in the open plains, like, out west. Um, it, it's very different depending on the map that gets that gets thrown at me. When when we talked to Johan, he, he basically identified, and this had never been uh, made clear to me, he basically said there are three strategies in this game. You know, you pick one of the three, uh, and you tend to, to run with that. Um, and Bruce, do you remember what they were? Like, one was definitely uh, go heavy on Arvin. One was flood the map with uh, U.S. troops. And Bruce, yep. what was the third one? Third one was, I think, uh, try to uh, – so flood the map with troops, and then there was a third one that was based on ambushes, I think. But uh, yeah, so so uh, also, Rob, I should say, you are probably the only one on this podcast who has beat the game on veteran. Uh, yes, that's that's for that's for sure for me. And another thing he told us is that basically he didn't use these words, but he basically said, I'm paraphrasing, and I doubt he'd disagree. He said that a regular is baby mode. <laughs> I actually in my in my in the emails I got from uh, Slytherin, actually, they were like, hey. Don't don't play on regular. A guy right, like right. you, uh, a man such as yourself, will not find satisfaction <laughs> yeah. in regular. Yeah. But what? And when we asked him about the difference between the difficulty levels, he basically just said it's a matter of aggression. Is that on regular they're really going easy on you? Uh, to to get the authentic Vietnam experience, uh, you want to put it on on veteran. So as a point of pride, also, I've just been playing on veteran, and I have come nowhere near close to winning a game. So, yeah. so for folks listening, absolutely defer to what Rob is saying. He knows what he's doing more than me. Right. And if and if and if anybody in the audience is planning on fighting a counterinsurgency war, they probably want to just email Rob and see if they can right, get right, an answer. Right. Uh, so basically, for episode three hundred, I am the Crate and Abrams of Three Moves Ahead. Fantastic. Yes. Well, well, tell yeah, us exactly. so about your veteran or game. or the David Petraeus. Uh, was your veteran game played with, with like you basically won it with artillery and cobras? Uh, yeah, and and a series of forward operating bases, um, and, and so like uh, for for my infantry, uh, I basically relied on Arvin because the Green Berets are really expensive re- units to deploy, and I think I only ended up ever employing like two of them, uh, but they cost a lot to bring an extra one onto the map, um, and 
so what I ended up doing was you can train Arvin units, uh, which are a slightly inferior brand of infantry to the standard U.S. infantry. I think their odds of success in battle are like 10% lower uh, than the U.S. units. But I was I was training them at forward operating bases, and then I was using them to go around and visit the villages, uh, while the forward operating bases themselves were defended by American infantry and uh, staffed by long-range artillery. And then I had one and the point Cobra the, gunship. The important... The important point there, Rob, that I, I know you know, but I want to just uh, uh, sort of tell the, the listeners is that the Arvin is actually better at getting intelligence from the villages. So, um, you know, you're more likely – there's a great mechanic where, uh, you know, you have this sort of indicator, which they – you know, uh, Johan uses as this campfire that is just um, burning outside the village. And sometimes, it, you know, you go to the village and uh, you basically try to put out the campfire and that – represents still, I'm not quite sure what, but I guess talking and, and, and uh, you know, interacting with the village. And you put out the campfire, and then at some point in the future, it lights again. And every time the campfire is lit, it's kind of like the bat signal. you got to fly in there and, and, and uh, you know, interact with the villagers. Um, and the, the uh, interaction then yields one of several results. You know, you can say that the, it'll say, you know, village uncooperative, which basically means that uh, the villagers might know something, but they're not going to tell you. You failed your role. Uh, like you failed your role yeah. to get the intel. Yeah. Right. And then you can get a role that says, uh, you know, no new intel, which basically means you you uh, succeed in your role, but uh, the villagers, there's nothing new for they They don't know. They're just like, you know, whatevs. And then the uh, if they do have intel, then it will go and reveal, uh, you know, a unit or a base or something uh, on the map. And that role, I don't know what the actual uh, numbers are, but the Arvin are better at it than the – so you can't use Green Berets for it. Uh, you can only use uh, U.S. infantry, but uh, if you uh, – so you can either send in the ugly Americans or you can send in the Arvin, and the Arvin have a better um, a better chance of getting intel. So uh, what Rob is describing for the listeners is that um, he's actually – He's building. Uh, he's 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 building trust with the uh, with the villagers through their native troops, and they uh, he's getting a lot more bonuses for his intel, so that he can then identify where those units are, and then have the uh, U.S. go and kill them. So they're basically like uh, indigenous spotters in a way. Think of them that way, right? Yeah. Although, the so it sounds like Rob, you won using the Arvin strategy of the th- three strategies that Johan was laying out. It sounds like you did a great job of using the Arvin. Uh, yeah, although it certainly felt like a lot more like I was leaning on the, um, you know, it's, it's weird. You could say it was an Arvin strategy. For me, it was a, it was an artillery strategy, right? Like it was, it was all about just putting fire, firepower, uh, you know, out there on the map, especially because like, uh, the, the NVA bases, the artillery bases that get, get established, uh, are very difficult to take out, especially if they're in deep jungle. And, um, Sending is that true? Yeah, like they seem a little bit easier to knock out uh, if they if they're in the open field. Uh, certainly, airstrikes. The NV- <clears throat> airstrikes. I mean, I just I've never had a problem taking out those. In- now, of course, I've never won on veterans, so we know what the hell do I know? But uh, I thought the NVA uh, bases got just basically melted when you airstruck them, even in the where there's uh, well, there are there are yeah. actually no terrain bonuses, which again is one of the things I love about this game is how little. Uh, uh, how few math modifiers there are going on here. Um, right. So. Uh, the you know the airstrikes are great, um, but I think even artillery will only have a percentage chance of killing things. But there are, there is no terrain bonus, which huh. surprised me because you would think you know something in a in a yeah. forest would be harder to kill. Uh-huh. And that, by the way, is one of the things he's adding in an update that is coming along in a couple of weeks that I'm a little bit leery of. Is he seems to have decided that. 
that it needs more kind of mathy modifiers. So, for instance, one of the things coming in the update is a, a bonus modifier to combat if you are near friendly units, kind of like a morale support bonus. Huh, I don't Which know I'm if, not. I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure that I want extra math in there. Uh, well, there's there's all there's all sorts of stuff that I'm not sure. You know, <clears throat> you know, we were discussing with this with uh, Johan just the fact that you know this is a game that, as Tom pointed out, I thought t- Tom came up with this idea, and I think it's a great idea. Is the idea that you're sort of it's like a board game because you have to give the the player you give it to the player, but the player has to simulate the whole thing before they can play it. And um, you know, it it's it sounds like you know computer of digital gamers are notorious for this you know you have a you have a machine that can keep track of a whole bunch of stuff that you can't so why not make it do that and so you know they want a lot of new units and they want this and they want you know why can't the green berets be like rambo yada yada whatever but um but the thing that you know he's putting in is things like weather and the thing that i don't like about that you know i thought about it tom Mm -hmm. we had discussed it and um i thought more about it and my feeling is that I, I don't like the fact that there's another random element that gets put in that I don't think really uh, – it doesn't add anything to the gameplay. It just sort of it's, – it's thematic without, uh, without game sort of relevance. Um, I think that um, that is a, a mechanic that could easily be factored into, say, you know, if you just wanted to change the, the – uh, the availability of of airstrikes is frankly i feel like the availability of airstrikes is already reflecting weather right because i mean technically you should be able to call an airstrike whenever the hell you want right, right? so so why if you know i you get it every five turns i think it is and so why do i get an airstrike every five turns well there's you know there's weather there's um there's you know other battles that are going on so you might not have the availability of those aircraft or something like that but um, you know, it's, it's, it's what's, what's called factoring in uh, that uh, so, was such a, a big uh, sort of controversy in, in, in board gaming way back when because people, you know, you could only have so many mechanics and people were saying, well, I just factored that into whatever. And people say, I don't want it factored in. I want an explicit right. you know, representation mm-hmm. of this thing. that I, I want to see a minus one to a die roll for Pete's sake. Right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Huh. Right. right. And, I, and I, I don't really see any reason to um, to do that. I don't think it adds anything. Now, I think you could add mechanics that are you know explicitly counterinsurgency that that um, that force you to make sort of ugly choices and that was the thing he was talking about you know interrogation uh, uh, right uh, right and I think I think that is a different kind of choice than a weather weather is just this thing right okay so 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 fine the game rolled a die and it's gonna there's gonna be monsoon for like the next three turns well I mean I don't it, it gives you a it's sort of a handicap but it's an arbitrary handicap but something like interrogation. Where you have, you know, well, maybe you're going to uh, get intel at the expense of decreasing your hearts and minds, but you decide that that intel is important enough to you uh, to find out where the NVA base is because you're losing so many uh, political points per turn. So that's one another thing that I should um, explain to the listeners is that as the game develops, there's just a very clear sort of rhythm and as the NVA establishes bases so that, as Tom said, that there are the, there, there's, there's the um, – uh, there's the conventional and the insurgent uh, factions sort of in the game. And as the conventional faction establishes bases, that sort is reflected in the political calculus. And the more bases the NBA has in the game, I think it's I think it's 250 yeah. po- political points. Oh, it goes way higher uh, than that. Per- I can speak from experience. You can get to like negative 1,250 a turn. Like it, oh, it's it's, it's 250, right, right, right. negative no, no, 250 no, no, per base. I was, saying, I, was, I was saying it's 
250 for oh, base, oh, right? Okay. So it's like it's like 250 for one, 500 for two, 750 for three. Uh, is it really just bases? Because I also noticed yes. that it lists like does does the number of, for instance, VC on the map matter, or it's just NVA bases? I don't believe so. Ah, I think good. it's just NVA okay, bases. Good, good. Yeah. So, um, but you also so, but you also lose points per turn based on casualties. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, you use you lose points per turn. Just walking, yeah. When yeah. you when on, you walk yeah. one hex, you lose political right. will, right. which is awesome. I right. Think. It's like yeah, cool. it's great. It's it's this idea that the, that the more intense your offensive, sort of the more the more the higher your tempo, the more you're burning goodwill right. of of your political base. I mean, I love this idea, and and it's I have to say to be to be fair to all the designers that have gone before um, before Johan, this is not new. Uh, for example, uh, Nick Carp's uh, Nick Carp. Um, I actually talked to Nick on the Three Moves Head podcast. Uh, people should should look it up. Um, it was last year or the year before. Uh, it's a it's a great strategic level game. But once again, it's the same kind of thing. The more you put into Vietnam, the higher the more you need to get results out of it because the more you burn your political will. But um, but my point was that as you get bases on the map. You're you're burning these points every turn for the bases, so you you might actually want to uh, burn the hearts and minds points to to just find out where these bases are. Right? You just like okay, fine. We're just going to hold guns to people's heads. We're going to tell them where is the NVA base, and they tell us. But it really kill. And you're only you're winning on hearts and minds points, not on political points. So there's that would be a reasonable trade off. I think that would be a mechanic. Now I understand why uh, why Johan doesn't want to do that, and I respect that. Um, but that's the kind of choice that I think is a, is a legitimate gameplay choice that you could make. Whereas the weather is just a sort of a, it just feels like it's window dressing and it, and it detracts from the simplicity and elegance of the game. Well, weather also has a problem where you have, it's a hard limit of 45 turns. So the more things you throw in that either make turns unmanageable or pointless, give the player mm-hmm. less to do. And less right. valuable or important decisions. So as long as that hard limit is there, anything that says, oh, sorry, you can't fly today, or sorry, your soldiers can travel even less far, um, right. just undercuts the – because the turn limit is a very central part of the game. Like, yes, absolutely. Because oh. it adds that – because it does get the – because you have to have some intensity. You have to, there has to be a reason to move quickly, um, make haste slowly uh, in many ways. You know, that's, that's, been, that's a great point. I think, Tom, that's one of the um, uh, one of the things that Johan told us was that, uh, you know, the game used to, you know, the, the, the 45 turn limit was imposed by Johan and for a very good reason. And that, um, as you pointed out, when you lose, you feel like it's not necessarily because you're um, because you're being defeated. It's because you can't win fast enough. So if you had 80 turns, well, you could probably sort of, you know, establish, uh, you, you just don't get the hearts and minds up high enough fast enough. So that really forces the tempo on you. And I think that's part of, you know, the weather is responding to some people saying, hey, this game is too easy. You know, people who have really mastered the system on veteran, mm. I, I think he's yeah. telling weather in to kind of just slow some people down. Hmm. Interesting. So I just, I, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about, about sort of this, this take on the Vietnam War. Uh, be, because it's it's it, it was a controversial war at the time, but you know even even years mm-hmm. later, like there's still you know passionate discussion of of what's the right way to wage counterinsurgency, and certainly what was the right way to wage it in Vietnam. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, this is Vietnam '65, which is you know it it takes place really before the parts of Vietnam that 
everybody remembers most vividly, right? Like it's it's mm-hmm. it's an irony that most of the fighting and dying in Vietnam, I think, came after Tet. Uh, by which point, politically, the war was mm-hmm. already kind of on a timer uh, as far as the United States was concerned. I don't think it was after Tet. I would say I would say the most of the fighting and dying in Vietnam happened up to, leading up to in the two years before Tet, sixty seven and sixty eight uh, or sixty six. 67 was a big year 68 um by 69 the the they were already there was already uh sort of the people were pulling up but yeah i understand i understand your point so the, yes this is a this is a pre quote vietnam end quote game yeah is that what you're saying yes so um so i'm sorry rob i, I, well, I, 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 I was just that. actually just i kind of want to discuss the 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 game's take on this particular moment in vietnam and mm-hmm. what it reflects about uh this kind of counterinsurgency well i think it, it reflects a certain understanding of counterinsurgency that um was a model for sort of a failed policy which doesn't i mean once you detach the sort of socio-political structure from the on the ground structure i mean you, it's it's the it's the whole idea of of um it's almost like um, the on-the-ground uh, equivalent of cocktail diplomacy, um, where you're sort of, you know, just t- if you just talk to people and, and, and make nice with them, then, the, you know, everything will go your way. Um, and it's, I think it's different from—this uh, is clearly not the nation-building uh, model of—I um, of, uh, oh, mean, I guess maybe it could be. Maybe they're building schools or something like that. But I, I, just, I just see this as, a, as an idea where— you're sort of convincing people to be on your side rather than understanding what the whole uh what the whole um sociopolitical basis of the conflict is. So uh interestingly enough, one thing that Johan said on the podcast uh, that we did with him when we interviewed him was that he plans to take this to uh to Afghanistan. Which I think is very interesting and I wonder uh how that's going to play. He also uh, felt that it wasn't a political game, which I, I think is a, f- yes. a fair point. Um, you know, the, the stuff that Bruce is talking about, you could assume, you know, uh, land reform, for instance, and how, how important a part that should have been of, in any Hearts and Minds campaign. You could just assume that's factored in if you want. Um, mm, it's factored in. Yeah. Uh, factored but I, I don't I, – I, you know, I don't think also that you can read too much into the title, uh, Vietnam 65. Like I, I think the idea is that's when this particular strategy began – and you were basically playing a campaign through – I don't know what the time span is supposed to represent. Um, but, but for instance, the, uh, you, know, you can buy a Huey Cobra in this game. You know, there were no Huey Cobras in service in 65. Uh, I don't think this is in any way supposed to be a historical observation on right. the year 1965. Well, I th- yeah, I, I understand that. I think Rob – and Rob, correct me if I'm, if I'm defending you in the wrong way. But uh, I think Rob was pointing out that it was sort of this, this idea that the, this was the, the, the hearts and minds uh, – campaign that was in the early vietnam war that when the war transitioned to a more conventional war this was not really what was happening um you know you didn't have people flying around the yadrang valley in uh in 1969 um but um the i guess it's it's almost a microcosm of the whole war right because in 65 you also didn't have nva troops down the yadrang right, right. valley i mean it was it was they didn't the trail wasn't developed enough i mean the 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 whole infiltration mechanic um so it, it it's sort of a a, a sort of a accelerated view of the whole 
the whole war, right? So it starts with the VC infiltration. If you don't get the VC, then the Viet Cong come down, or the uh, NVA comes down and repla- uh, sort of augments the Viet Cong, which is which is an interesting observation in itself, right? Because you have to shut the you have to shut the NVA the sorry the VC down, uh, or the Viet Cong comes in. Oh, sorry, or the NVA comes in. You have to shut the Viet Cong down before the NVA comes in, which you could argue in a in a sort of a, a historical sense was not really true. The the um, conventional North Vietnamese army was going to come down into Vietnam, South Vietnam, whether the Viet Cong were successful or not. Uh, it was just a matter of time and, and sort of aid for them to uh, to build that force up. Yeah, and I think that's how I would respond to any question about, you know, is this realistic or uh, what, uh, you know, is that this is the, as you said, Bruce, this is the war in a microcosm. You know, it's creating this little operational level, randomly generated map, and this is a stand-in for the overall experience in Vietnam. So uh, I want to make sure, you know, before we, uh, I want to get this in because uh, I thought of it earlier today, and I wanted to make sure that I mentioned it. Because you guys are my friends and colleagues I've known for a long time, so I'm going to clue you on something, okay? I'm going to tell you something that you probably don't Mm -hmm. know, but but I'll, I'll reveal it for the first time on this podcast. So there's a game uh, that was released by Game Designers Workshop. It was, uh, I think it was 1979, and it's the best Vietnam, Vietnam game that's ever been designed. Okay? Can I, can I, tell I guess? You what it can is. I guess? Yes. Starship Troopers? Ah! No. Oh, rats. But that's close. You're good. That, you, you're, you're, you're doing it. You, you see where I'm going with this, Tom Chick. So, um, so the game is actually called Blood Tree Rebellion. Okay, it's. I think. I think it really is the best Vietnam game. Bruce, this that, sounds. Uh, it sounds like it has elves in it. So, so let me explain to you. So, this, I'm answer, just going to read. So, you. yes, elf confirmed. Yeah. So, Go on. So here it is. So according according to according to the rulebook for Blood Tree Rebellion, it simulates a guerrilla action on the planet Somber, which is the fifth satellite of New Phoenicius, occurring several centuries from now. That's what it is. But my point is that if you the point take is a your lot life of this, this is about space elves. No, it's it's actually so this came out in '79, and it is really a very interesting, very well done, I think, um, sort of counterinsurgency slash political war that you couldn't make out of Vietnam because. It was 1979, and I don't think you could do this stuff in in Vietnam that you do in this game. For example, uh, if I flip to the rules here, there are you know you have power bases in different cities. Uh, you can um, kidnap uh, basically uh, power uh, people. That you have you, they have counters for for um, these sort of uh, officials who are are um, who represent different uh, political factions. You can kidnap them. You can execute them. The in, pl- the in power player uh, plays this counter on any imprisoned, out of power, power based counter, except those arrested in the current turn. So you can't you can't arrest somebody and execute them. You got to wait a turn. But um, there's prison breaks. Uh, there's desertion of troops. Uh, assassinate and bomb. Demonstrate. Riot. Arrest. Um, there are all sorts of rules in here. And my uh, sort of assertion is that. You could actually make probably a really good Vietnam game if you, you know, if you 
put it in space. Right. And well, that, that's I, true of a, of a lot of science fiction, though, isn't it? Is you know, Stanislaw right. Lem could write about communism because exactly. he wasn't writing about communism; he was writing about right. he was writing science fiction. Oh, yeah. you got yeah. That was exactly where I was going, and so I don't even have to mention Lem um, because. Uh, so I think that, and the thing that got me on this track was that he, uh, Johan, wants to take this into Afghanistan, and I just feel like as soon as somebody is in the um, in the Apple store and they are clicking on their, uh, you know, uh, connect for banana game. And right next to it is, you know, Afghanistan counterinsurgency game that there is just waiting for somebody to be offended. And it's a different sort of thing where, uh, you know, who cares if there's a, if there are games about, um, this stuff in, uh, in some, dark nether regions of steam but as soon as the, you put it in the apple store and it's one click away from anybody then it becomes a lot less palatable and so my point is that i think that we're at a point now with afghanistan that we might have been in 1979 when uh the um people at game designers workshop decided that they were going to uh make a game about vietnam but just uh basically make space elves out of it um and I, that's the kind of game design that i and and, and frankly I'm not sure why. I mean, I really like history, but I'm totally down with playing a really good counterinsurgency game with space elves, as long as the counterinsurgency game is well thought out and represents something that I can understand. Well, one of the one of the most famous and well received Vietnam War movies is uh, Aliens, and I'm, I say that without any uh, without being facetious in the least. Uh, so, the, uh, speaking of uh, taking offense, by the way, here's another bombshell that, that Johan dropped. Johan dropped on us. Uh, Vietnam 65 is an iPad game that was ported to the PC, not the other way around. This was originally made for the iPad, and the, what we're playing on the PC is just a port. Which I, I was like, I can't believe we're, we're – I can't believe – I mean, you know, Shenandoah sort of blew away that stigma of doing war games on, on for iOS uh, platforms. Uh, but I still was a little bit – I couldn't believe we were just playing a port rather than the original oh, version. I can believe it. <laughs> If I'm be honest, like that was that my my one sort of persistent beef is that the the uh, interface has definitely got some of those um some of the things I associate with like tablets coming t- tablet games coming over to PC, uh you know like in a bad way or in a good in, way in a little bit of a bad way uh to be honest <sighs> oh yeah we have to we have to have some words then so what what are your problems with the the inter- interface oh, so let, let's hear I, your I take think on for the, the most part yeah. it, it, like it's not bad enough to seriously dent my enjoyment of the game so like I almost hesitate to bring it up but like. I find that um, everything going off left click, for instance, just gets a little bit frustrating. Oh, sure, Having sure. to deselect the thing before I can take another action uh, gets get, gets a little old. Uh, and actually, there were a lot of times where when I was trying to give a command to a unit, there's that l- little radial menu of options that, that spring. Which is going by the wayside, we've been told. Oh, which interesting. Uh, uh, because yeah. actually there have been a number of times where the hex I want to go is off to the northeast, which is right where a menu option is, yeah. and yeah. I end up burning an action because rather than see my unit move to the right location, uh, now a chopper has picked up supplies or tried to drop them off somewhere. Uh, so there have right. just been times where like, definitely I feel like I'm fighting the interface uh, j- just a very little bit. Do you know about, for instance, uh, and this was a, a huge eureka moment for me when I discovered this, uh, that if you have a helicopter selected, for instance, and you want him to go back to the headquarters, which is way the heck on the left side of the map, so rather than scroll over there and select the headquarters, with the helicopter selected, 
you just click on the go to headquarters yeah. button, which you'd normally press to physically go to the helicopter to the headquarters. But if you have a helicopter selected and you press it, you're telling the helicopter, "Hey, go back to headquarters." And you can also do that with forward operating bases. Do you know about that shortcut? No, yeah. Oh, so that's that's a huge part of like. And that's why I sort of uh, feel that the, as a game about logistics, there's a great flow to this thing because you can give things orders without having to scroll all the way around the map. You know, all of it is just focused right there. If I need my helicopter to resupply artillery, for instance, I just do it in one click and it, it knows where to go. I don't have to tell it, go here to go to get the ammo, then go here to supply this thing. And then, you know, you just select the helicopter one click. Um, which is, which is uh, sort of... <clears throat> made possible by the fact that you can't really I mean you can only build one uh firebase and right, right. you only get one headquarters so the helicopter is going to go to sort of the closest thing um which I guess uh, I don't know that that even makes a difference I guess if you had multiple ones it would just find the one that was closest you could supply it from but but that make the <clears throat> the way that the game sort of limits you in that way also makes it perfect for this kind of uh, for this kind of streamlined streamlined interface stuff yeah, and I don't know that the tutorial does a good job of explaining that stuff. That, again, is something where I feel, you know, sit down, read the manual through. You know, treat it like a board game. Like you've got all these pieces, and there actually aren't that many pieces, which is one of the things that's cool about it. You've only got a handful of pieces, but take the time to sort of figure out what each piece does and how to, how to manage it. Uh, and I think in a way that's kind of demanding because we expect to have that stuff shown to us in a tutorial. And for the right. most part, we get that. I don't yeah. think this game really does that with its tutorial, no. fortunately. So uh, we know how Tom and I feel about this game. Uh, Rob and Troy, how do you guys feel about the game? I like it. It hasn't quite clicked with me, and I think it's. I'm still trying to get into the flow. I think of the supply management, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to say it's busy work and what's important, and it's important first, first thematically, and also it does affect the strategy. It's really important, you know, having this shuttling and being and knowing where things are, and putting your bases in the right place. Um, it hasn't quite. I, I don't feel all the love that you guys have and that Tim Stone has for it. He had a really nice write-up on Robbie Per Shotgun glowing uh, mm. about Vietnam 65 uh, last week or the week before. Mm -hmm. So I recommend okay. people check that out as well as um, Bruce and Tom's if you really want to see smart people really fall in love with this game. I'm not quite in love with it yet, um, but it's definitely very good and it's an interesting game. It's an interesting design. It does things you don't see in a lot of games. It does push um, quasi-historical thematic war games in an interesting and important direction. Um, so if you're curious about where I think light, interesting, challenging war games should go, certainly Nagel's onto something. And before we get to Rob, I want to just address something you mentioned. Troy, you used the word busy work, and I don't disagree in the least. I mean, and you even said I wouldn't necessarily call it busy work, but I think the difference between busy work in gameplay, for a lot of people, uh, it's busy work if it's something you don't care about doing. Uh, and I can completely understand that for some people, I'm not saying you said this, but for some people, all that chopper management would feel like busy work because they don't necessarily care about the units. Uh, one of the upcoming changes in the update, which I feel will help a lot in this perception of busy work, uh, he's letting you name the units, which I think is that XCOM thing of you're going to inherently care more about it if you gave it a name. If you decided what it was called. Uh, so I, I love that. Uh, and, and also, furthermore, he's uh, going to have the villages randomly named with uh, just from a list of, of, of names of Vietnamese villages. For that personal connection, I, I like that idea. I think it would help more if they, if they randomly got medals. 
like they get wounded and someone gets a purple heart, then all of a sudden, you know, that unit actually, they did something. They're veterans. They showed something. They they, they do actually. Units get yeah. experience. They, they get experience. Yeah. I, want, I want to see the little, I want to see a little metal tag. I want to see well, now, some Troy, kind of check out. Have you checked out your uniform from the main screen? Because you get little medals and pins yes. and epaulets oh, yeah, yes. and all that stuff. I have to be good for that. I'm talking about my soldiers. I already have a personal right. connection. I have a personal connection to me. Uh, right, so, right. But yeah, I, I, I do like the idea of naming the units. I think a bit, people might say, I, like say, I don't see it as busy work. I think it's a very important part. But it's also, there's the inclination, and I think it's a natural inclination, to wonder, isn't there an easier way to do this than just me clicking my helicopter back and forth to the jungle every so many turns. There's got to be an easier way to do this, easier way to abstract. Again, that's already abstract. Can't we abstract one more thing? Now, he's chosen not to, and I think he's made the right choice. But I don't think it's unreasonable for people to think, well, why is all this other stuff abstracted, but you know, moving my Huey from one place to another is not? Yeah, and that, that's a fair complaint, but again, it's something that some of us, certainly me, like I, I love that it gives props to what the helicopter pilots oh, had to go through in yeah. Vietnam. Uh, it's such a this, – this game is so lovingly uh, Huey-centric, and I love that mm-hmm. about it because that's, yeah. that's the iconic image of – the single iconic, iconic image of the Vietnam War is right. the, the Bell Huey, yeah. I think. Yeah, um, and, and <clears throat> since Tom was picking a bone, I, I'll, I'll uh, just question another thing that Troy, you said, and that's it's, – I think you might be right, but I just want to talk to yeah. you a little bit about it. You use the word light war game. I feel like in a way you're absolutely – I mean you've got such clear, simple mechanics. Um, and in another sense though, I'm wondering, you know, this is, a, this is a challenging game and it has a lot of stuff in it. Do you, I mean – as far as light war games, and I, this this comes up for me because um, I was – this was several months ago, but I was playing a game. I was actually playing Storm Over Dien Bien Phu with a guy at the game store, and uh, I taught him how to play, and we played the game. And then we were done. He was like, oh, that's an interesting light war game. And I was thinking – What does he mean by well, light? Yeah. yeah, I mean it's like uh, – you know, then people you – know, this is somebody that played ASL, so you know their their understanding of light war game might be, um, might be uh, a little – sort of different but i feel like sort of games war games tend to get this uh how do how should i put this i feel like it's it's a lot like uh it's a lot like the uh it's a lot like american politics the left is sort of this false center because of the people who are uh reporting it okay here we go (laughs) and the uh in war games the uh the Right is sort of a false center because of the people who are playing it. I don't know if that makes sense. The complicated, the complicated sort of spectrum uh, is is treated as the norm. Where I think this is a game that's very actually complex in its concepts and and not necessarily in its systems, but it it becomes labeled as a light war game because you know there aren't a whole bunch of combat tables and. Uh, it's not, um, you know, you have these the the units, the way the you units look, there's sitting. no counters. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. Yeah. I guess about right. my light is there aren't a lot of moving parts. There's uh, not a lot. You feel there aren't the, the rules are very simple. They're really clear. You've got to read the manual. I didn't the first time through. I thought oh, that tutorial great. Boy, was that a mistake? Um, but it's not a game that has requires a whole lot of, requires some paying attention, doesn't require, you know, like you say, studying tables, looking at combat odds, there's no terrain stuff going on. It is a game that is where everything you really need to know is in front of you. 
I think that's what I mean by a light by a light war game. Okay. There's not a lot of Fair you enough. don't got to dig deep into menus. You don't like it's, it right. isn't. So I think I mean it's a game. We, it's a term we use a lot and probably we use too much because we've used it for Ultimate General Gettysburg and Pike and Shot. And here I threw it in here, and I think that's probably a term I should retire. Well, the the problem is uh, what I don't like about the term is it sort of seeds to the sort of hardcore John Tiller, Gary Grigsby type games, the status of like real war game or normal war yeah. game. Yes. Yeah. Um, and exactly. and that was my point. Yeah. I'm sorry that I, I didn't get that across, but that was the, yeah. that was the point that, that, that sort of the, 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 what is considered to be a war game is way over to the, to the sort of, to the one end of the spectrum where you need to pull it, you know, sort of pull the definition back and say, look, you know, war in the West is by no means a normal war game. I mean, that's a that's a hardcore, really complicated war game, and a normal war game might be something like this. And then your you know your light war game is is uh, some of these other things that that uh, you see uh, with with uh, the concepts in this game. I think the the way that uh, you um, you sort of play this game, I can imagine if if this were a board game and you put it down on the table, I can imagine how the first few playings. Let's say if I were playing with you guys, just like a two-player game, and, and that's the other thing that, you know, this is obviously a solitaire game. Uh, they, they were talking about, um, Johan was talking about making it a multiplayer game, and Tom and I talked a little bit about that, how it might not be the best idea. But if we were to play this, I think that you'd have to play it multiple times, and you, the first kind of few times through would be like, oh, this game is unbalanced. Oh, this is terrible. You can't you can't win as the as the, um, as the Americans. It's, it's, this game is just broken. And, and you all of a sudden be, be trotting out like rules changes for balance when you didn't realize how aggressive you actually have to be in the game to be successful. And um, you know, Johan talked a little bit about how you know you can't just sit back on your own little sort of side of the of the map and try to you know control your little uh, towns villages before you head over to the to the western side because you're going to lose. And um, I can imagine sort of as you sort of sort of um, uh, you know, test out different strategies as a board game. It would it would be it would be really uh, sort of stark the 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 the, the failure rate. Uh, and in a as one of the things that makes it uh, good as a computer game is that you get to play it over and over, and it's only a few hours, so you you lose a few times, and then you think, oh, I get it. I need to get my Hueys loaded up. I need to put these guys on the other side of the map before they start building bases there. I want to hear more from Bruce about how the left is the false center of the American of American politics because of the media. <laughs> we are not. I, I, I don't, no, I don't we are not. How, I don't see how any any of that needs uh, needs any explanation. It's just, it's, it's just the truth. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm actually probably. Yeah, so Rob, yeah, give us your review. What's the Rob review? Uh, I mean, I, there's a lot of things I like a lot. The problem is I'm like maybe five games in, and I think I'm already starting to sort of see the limits of what this game can really offer me. Uh, so like, if, if we were to take the... Um, compared to a game like A Few Acres of Snow, for instance, right? Uh, eventually, like playing it online, you hit a point too where where the game certain follows certain rote patterns, and there, there's there's way there's correct ways to play it, uh, and you you sort of end up channel down some very fixed strategies, and at that point the game is kind of over for you because uh, there's not a lot of experimentation left, to just kind of iterating on things you you've already understood and proven to yourself, and I'm already sort of hitting that point. And so my, my last few games uh, have, have followed increasingly similar templates. I'm curious to try a couple of the alternate strategies that, uh, that, that you guys have mentioned here. But 
I, I think it's it's a game that made a great first impression, and there's a lot of things I love about this model, and I'm thrilled to play a game that like attempts to to model this kind of conflict where you have this mix of of conventional conflict and uh, and heart uh, and hearts and minds. But at the same time, I am a little bit disappointed to you know after after only really a, f- a few days of playing it seriously, sort of seeing it fall into some some rote patterns. And uh, you know that's that, that, that's fine. Like it, they they certainly aren't charging you an arm and a leg for this game. Uh, but it, it's definitely I, I feel like I am finishing this game uh, intellectually uh, much sooner than I would have expected. Well, Rob, let's see how you do with weather when you get slowed down every few turns by a monsoon. Yeah, exactly. You mean, yeah, you mean right? after the game is yeah. ruined and I uninstall it? We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's uh, this is so I want to bring up this point because this is very interesting to me. What you just said, Rob, um, I, I thought that the 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 um, random maps would kind of sometimes it's just really hard to uh, uh, to get. You have these villages that are kind of surrounded by jungle, yeah, uh, and that, that kind of makes the game a little harder. I've, I've definitely map. booted up a map and thought there's no way I'm restarting. Right. Like right. there's yeah, no exactly. way I can. Yeah, I'm going to lose this one in short order. I'm going to yeah. reload and get a more friendly map. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that in that sense, that you can, you know, you can always get these these maps that are that are going to be really challenging. So even for uh, you know David Petraeus, like people like you, Rob, that uh, you're going to just have a real uh, hard time, no matter what kind of wizard you are. But um, but I think that it's very interesting to think about what you just said because. <clears throat> The game, this game on the iPad costs ten bucks, and you said you've only been playing it for a very few days. Yeah, right. But how many hours is that really? Let's like, what is that? Thirty hours of playing? Yeah, but like that that takes us down the whole like what's a dollar worth to you thing, and that's not really what I'm getting at. No, 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 not really, not really. That's not that's not really what I'm saying. I'm saying just to. It's not really the dollar value worth. It's just the way that we perceive these things. So imagine I came over to your house and said, hey, man, I got this game. It's called Vietnam 65. Check this box. And I opened the box, and I showed you all these really nice components. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I paid whatever, how much games cost these days, like 65 mm-hmm. bucks. But we sat down. We played it once. And, uh, you know, I got crushed as the Americans because I didn't really understand it. And then I played it a couple more times with you. And we kind of started getting our sense of it. And then I got online and made one of those uh, YouTube videos where uh, the camera just kind of flies all over and you're just looking at a board and some guy's talking all the time and reviews the game. And that, for a $65 game, hey, you got a few plays out of it. It's very interesting. And then you move on to your next game. Whereas this is a $10 game that you played a whole bunch of times really got into the system, figured it out, and now you're like, oh, God, that was kind of not worth it. I'm curious about well, that. I, I, like, it's that, like, I guess, yeah, and I I'm, I would kind of throw in to, to say as well, what, is that a bad thing if you wrap your head around a game and you're kind of done with it? Like, is the experience yeah. of getting to that point, isn't that that's a perfectly viable thing? Uh, for a perfectly viable way to make and experience a game, isn't it? Well, yes, mm-hmm. but that's just one way of that's that's a positive spin on finding yourself skiing down the reverse slope of the chick parabola. Mm. Um, no, no, the chick parabola. I think the chick parabola is so. The chick parabola is where a game falls apart and you realize that it's crap that you've been experiencing because and there's no meaningful AI to it. At least that that's the way I. I didn't even invent the term. You guys came up with it. But sort of the, the, the way I was sort of explaining something that got called Chick Parabola. Yeah. Like I, I fully feel um, 
if I've, and I'm not where you are, Rob, partly because I've put the game down to wait for what's killing me is there are no hex outlines, and these have been promised. Uh, so I've put the game down until that's in there because I want no part of having to count hexes when they're physically not even visible. Um, so I'm waiting for that on the patch. But I fully expect, Rob, at some point you know, to get where you are, where I feel like I've kind of mastered yeah. the system. I have beat it on you – know, I, can, I can always sort of figure out how to beat a map on veteran um, – and I'm kind of okay with that, with like a game having an end point. Um, and that, that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. And as long as that end point isn't me being betrayed because I was tricked by a crappy AI, but by, by you know the lack of an AI in Civ Five. But, but I think maybe that is um, is what's bothering me a, a little bit about it. Is like when it starts. When I started playing this game, it's all very new and sort of menacing, right? Like the Viet Cong just sort of come out of nowhere and shoot a, shoot down a helicopter and then vanish. Um, it, it feels very much like, you know, you're, you're wrestling smoke when you first encounter the game. And then like a player or two later, you're like, okay, I figured out how this is all working. And at the point where I'm at, it's actually following really predictable patterns. And I just... It, I, what I guess what I find myself disappointed at is that, like, really quickly, it's it sort of become a thing where where there's always a lever I can pull, and I almost I almost can always identify the correct le- lever, and I suppose it just happened a little faster than than I, than I was expecting. Um, that that's and this is on this is on veteran though. You're definitely been playing yeah. on veteran. Man, yeah, I I must really suck at this because I'm nowhere near that level, and then that's uh, I'm not I, either. So yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, so you know what? If you're really good at games, maybe don't play this. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not. I, I don't know. But, but the, this is I, like I don't want to be like say it, I'm the one down on this game. Like, am I well, really on, glad I on, played Rob. it? For the last few shows, you've loved every game more than everyone else. Well, that, that so it's that's your true. Turn. That that that's true. But yeah. I but I, I still find joy in games, unlike the rest of you. Uh, and and <laughs> yeah. I like I I'm really glad I, I played this game. It, it was it was a really interesting. Like there aren't many games like this, and there aren't many Vietnam War games that 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 cover this aspect of the war. So I was really glad I encountered it. Um, I, I just ended up in a place where I, where I find myself just you know wanting a little bit more. But, <clears throat> that's a very interesting. I, I guess that. What this really is is the demonstration of how board game style game uh, really shows the limitations of the digital medium because eventually you're just going to be able to break it. And you have to have an amazing design for someone to be able – I mean I don't know that many game, that many board games that I have – that follow completely different uh, sort of pattern. I mean, even chess has all these recognizable patterns, right? I mean, if you play a game enough, you're going to find recognizable patterns. And so I don't know how many times I'm going to play Storm Over DNB and Foo with somebody. I mean, I think if I played that thing 10 times, I might be done with that game too. Uh, There are very, very few games that have such a plethora of um strategy such a diverse sort of branching tree of strategies that i play over and over the the reason i think that uh, a lot of these games have longevity like you know people always talk about xcom i mean xcom has the same exact kind of you know rote thing i mean you just have to i mean you, the you're going to find a crash you're going to you're going to pick up these weapons you're going to research the weapons you're going to all the same weapons blah 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 the reason that we spent so much time is that the game took so long so it, it 
it sort of transported you a into this alternate reality, and b it was so it invested so much time that that one play. I mean, there was a lot of sort of each the decisions that you made were not necessarily more uh a lot of decisions were were not as important right i mean if i turn this guy move this guy here i sent you know 10 troopers on this mission three of them i might not really care about here every kind of move matters but i i guess it's a it's it sort of tells you how people expect games to be because just playing through one campaign game of war in the east i mean at some point i'm like Okay, uh, that was great. Uh, I'm done for a while. So you either get the game, you either get your head wrapped around the system, or you get an experience of the game. It's sort of a, a overall um, game experience, sort of gestalt, Viltanshong, um, whatever kind of words you want to use, zeitgeist, um, and uh, and those are two different things, and. Whether you want to immerse yourself, I really, I really enjoy the idea of finding a game, figuring out what systems do, figuring out how they interact, and then mastering it. And then I'm perfectly fine putting it away, rather than a game where I'm sort of taken along for this long ride and it tells me a story. Um, well, I, actually, I shouldn't say. I mean, I, I enjoy that as well. But I think those are two different ways of of experiencing a game. And what you're actually saying is that you want that long drawn out story and you want this kind of game and i think that that the games are complex in different ways and you might actually be able to play this game a lot more it's it's more complex and uh and takes more playings whereas the other game it's it's just the length that kind of keeps you in in uh, interested and i feel that that biases you against against shorter games go ahead Tom. I, I would distill what you just said down bruce down to uh not every game has to be civ 4 Okay. Because Civ Four, uh, you know, hugely generous sandbox, unlimited playability, all of the mods, you know, so many different mm-hmm. decisions. You get a huge narrative in the, you know, 20 hours it takes you to play a game, or if you're faster, in the five hours to play a game. Uh, right. Civ Four never ends. It will never end. You can never, ever get enough Civ Four. Um, sure. And, and that kind of spoils some of us. Uh, you know, you see that, and you're like, oh, well, you know, if I finish, if I'm done with this in 10 hours, you know, why can't it be like Civ Four? And I'm not right. saying that's what you're saying, Rob, but I, I sort of feel that we we do have unreasonable expectations because of some sometimes because of things like Civ Four, um, whereas and this is a much out, more self-contained experience. I feel. And I just want to also point out to you that when you enter the realm of historical war games, you have limitations on your on your game that don't exist in Civ Four. Right? Civ Four is this random map, completely random. You just have these factions. And that's it, right? There's a rule set, but it can right. go anywhere. I mean, the Army Group North has to start in East Prussia in every single game of war in the East, period, right? And those forces and the and the forces in Baltic Military District are always going to be the certain, uh, you know, relative ratio of strength one to another. And eventually you're going to figure out how to break Baltic Military District. So you don't have the the open-ended, everything-can-be-random part of gaming like Civ Four can be. So I, I, I think that, yeah, like Tom says, it's, it's, you're, you're holding it to a, little, to a standard that doesn't, doesn't need to... It's impossible in wargaming, I think. 
And I also wonder too, Rob, I don't, I confess I don't know this about you. I, I wonder if this is a game that, uh, which is the case with Bruce and I, you might respond to more warmly if you are a board gamer. Like if, if part of your experience with, with game design is, is heavily focused on tabletop gaming. Uh, is that part of what you do, Rob? I, I'm surprised I actually don't know that about you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I actually play a, a fair. Oh no, of course of you do. Games. I've heard yeah. you talk with with Julian about like Rabbitcon and stuff. Of right. course you do. So, right. Okay. So thanks. For that that blows yeah, my so, theory. So it's not so, it's okay. not biased against that. It's just like you you know for me like there, there's I, I guess there, there's a middle ground, right? Like I don't I never expected this to be be Civ four, and I have no problem with the game sort of being short and sweet and, and doing doing a cool thing, and you only play it you know a few times, and certainly I'm fine with that that uh, in, in the board game space. I just, you know, this is a game where, like, I started playing it, like, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not actually sure. And here I am, you know, midday on Friday. I'm like, well, that was cool. I'm kind of done with it. And that's, that's my only hesitation is just, like, it was, it was one of those things where, where I was feeling like, oh, this is a really difficult challenge. I'm really, really fascinated and engaged by this. And then just, you know, in, in a couple plays, I discovered, oh, this is actually, it actually seems really easy to game the system. Uh, You're too smart, Rob. Yeah, just, my, I, uh, just my, my my omnicompetence. I, I think just just killed it for me. Um, but that, that's in no that should in no under no circumstances should that be taken as like a discouragement from like playing this game. I think it's you know there, there isn't much out there that's like that's like this. Uh, and so I, you know I give it I give it a warm recommendation uh, on that score, if, especially if you're interested in this kind of historical topic right because at that point you like the the game gets a lot of points just for managing a fairly convincing model of a certain understanding of counterinsurgency fair enough all righty all right so uh yeah so that is vietnam 65 uh well that one that one is in the books and i guess i'm the hater this time uh i thought troy would be the hater but but haters gotta hate (sighs) It took me a while for it to get its claws into me, but there's certainly something I want to keep revisiting here. What number episode is this, by the way? 300. Yeah. Yeah. This is the 300th episode? Yes, it is. Yeah. Tricentennial, bitches. Wow. So this is like, I mean, we have, for the 300th episode, we have uh, three of the four original panelists plus Rob. That's pretty good. It's three of the four. Get it? Three of the four. And it's 300. Well, what do you see what's lined up for the 400th episode? Oh, uh, wow. That's going to be crazy. When everyone gets cream sodas. <laughs> <laughs> I would love a cream soda right now, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, well, thank you for everybody who has been listening to us for 300 episodes. And thank you for everybody who has been listening to us for one episode. And also thank you to everyone in between. <laughs> Uh, it has been a joy uh, doing about 230 uh, of the of these episodes with you guys. Um, yeah, I mean, I loved the show a, a long time before I became a panelist, and uh, you know, even after all these episodes, I still really like chatting about strategy and war games with you. Uh, even when you accuse me of, of baseless slander, like not appreciating a good war game because it's not Civ Four, um, I still love and forgive you. I think you just hate America. That too. Actually, my, my real beef with Vietnam 65 is it doesn't let me uh, be the communists because uh, that's my yeah, real allegiance. Uh, that, that, I, yeah, that's true. No, I mean, that, that's I mean, it's kind of well known. 
but anyway, thanks so much to all, uh, all of you for being here for episode 300. And uh, thanks to our listeners for yeah sticking with us uh, all these many years. And as always, but especially today, uh, thank you to Michael Hermes for cutting all these episodes together and making us sound vastly better and more competent uh, than we really are. Uh, it has been a delight. He doesn't get enough credit. Uh, sound editors are amazing. Yes, yes. Well, he's amazing. Well, can, when you consider editor. some of the some of the things, some of the raw material we have handed him in the past, uh, yeah, <laughs> and say, can you do something with this? Basically, the equivalent yeah. of you know an unspooled tape cassette, you know, in a in a yeah. in a pile. Uh, he he always manages to to bring it home. Uh, so obviously, his contribution is is. Uh, appreciate it every week if you actually find the show listenable in any in any respect. And I do want to say just how important it is, how glad I am that Tom could be here. Uh, this is his first 3MA in quite a while, um, and I know a lot of our fans have been having him in our prayer. His our prayer, having him in their prayers for the last while. I know that I have, and I'm so thrilled uh, that he is back. And hopefully, this is the beginning of many more visits and telling me how wrong I am about everything. Oh, th- and I, uh, you know, thank you so much. I've, I've really appreciated all the encouragement while I've been gone, and it is awesome to be back. Uh, you know, my, my voice is a little different. I appreciate people putting up with that. I, uh, but yeah, it's it's great to be back, and I can't wait to come back and, and talk to you guys some more and and offer you more coffee. You can stop doing well, that. I got Not yeah. going to happen, Troy. Not going to happen. At the beginning of every episode, I'll be offering coffee. I know. All right, uh, that does it for episode three hundred, and uh, I'll see all of you bastards in episode four hundred. Uh, but until then, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Good night, everybody. Night, all. Good night. If you want me, you can find me left of center off of the strip. In the outskirts and in the fringes, in the corner.